Welcome to the Dogs and Deadlifts, Building Better Dogs podcast. If you like a podcast that is raw, unfiltered, and authentic, you have come to the right place. Our goal is to bring clarity around canine fitness and conditioning. We help people ignite their dog's performance and build better dogs. Join your host, Daniel Rose, as we discuss fitness, nutrition, and mindset for dogs. Let's do this. some clarity around dog nutrition, dog fitness, or scent work, you are not alone. Learn how to ignite your dog's physical and mental performance, safe, systematic, and injury-free. Yes, you can improve your dog's physical and mental performance and achieve amazing results following the Dogs and Deadlifts programming. Because this work is not just about you, it's whom you do it with. We understand you want to make sure your coach is the right fit. Get access to certified canine athlete specialist coach and owner of Dogs and Deadlifts, Daniel Rose. And you can figure out how to get the results you're looking for, whether it is your dog's general behavior, athletic performance, or sports scent detection. Book your 30-minute free online discovery call with Daniel today. The link is shown in the notes below. So welcome back to the Dogs and Deadlifts podcast today. We are very, very blessed to have Dr. Ian, Ian Billinghurst on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you, Daniel. Great to be here. Look, it's, uh, um, it's certainly an honor to have you here. And, and the other thing is, it's certainly an honor to have a, a fellow uh, Aussie uh, on the podcast as well. <laughs> well, it's good to be being interviewed by an Aussie. <laughs> Normally, um, you know, the last number of podcasts I've had, um, you know, as I mentioned off air a little bit, um, you know, we've got a huge audience in the US, the UK. So, um, you know, generally, uh, you'll find most of the guests, uh, you know, on the podcast are from, you know, around the world. But uh, yeah, certainly uh, great to, uh, to have you here. Um, so I'd like to get started, if that's okay. Um, for those yeah. people that don't um, jump, we're just going to jump straight in because I'm, I'm pretty excited about today's episode. <laughs> Um, for those people that don't know you or a little bit about you, would you like to give a bit of an origin story about, um, you know, a little bit about your background, where you, where you sort of got started? Oh, God. I mean, that's very difficult, isn't it? I'm a veterinary surgeon, so they tell me. <laughs> I graduated from Sydney University in the uh, end of 1975, mm-hmm. early 1976. So that's a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, been in small animal practice mainly ever since. Um Interesting, when, when we were in um, fourth and fifth year, our teachers told us that uh, we don't see any of the problems or hardly any of the problems that are being seen in North America. Huh. They, and and we, I actually felt quite deficient in my training because of this. But they said, we just don't see the problems. We just don't see them. And even our dentistry was pretty uh, minimal because they said, look, we just don't get dental problems. Periodontal disease is fairly minimal. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, I thought, wow, that's that's pretty. But but let me assure viewers that we've had to get experts out from the US ever since to teach us because this was 1975, mm-hmm. and around about that time, 1975, 1980, we began importing processed pet food from America, mm-hmm. and suddenly vets were selling this stuff, 
and suddenly vets had to become much more clever at diagnosis and treatment of a whole raft of degenerative disease processes they were not seeing before. Now, if you don't understand what this means, this is epidemiology in practice. Now, most people today really understand epidemiology. They may not have understood it two or three years ago, mm -hmm. but epidemiology is where a population of people or animals or whatever whatever species you want to put it on in the epidemiological field mm -hmm. uh, begins to contract a problem or, or is different from, from another population because of what's happening. So we had two populations of animals in Australia, or we'll go with dogs just for the moment, yeah. uh, to a population of dogs prior to this food being imported from America, and then a population of dogs afterwards. And the population of dogs afterwards required enormous veterinary intervention. But it happened slowly. Mm -hmm. It happened over a period of maybe 10 to 15 years. And I saw this happening as a vet, mm -hmm. that these animals were gradually becoming sicker and sicker and living shorter and shorter lives because the degenerative disease was on the increase. And the only significant change was the importation of processed pet food. Now, at the same time, in Australia, we had people, pet food companies, were springing up and they were saying, my goodness, we need to get on this bandwagon. And so they were actually encouraging the people to, to buy more dogs to, and they were promoting pet ownership. And these were, these were pet food companies. They were promoting pet ownership and then they were promoting how to feed the pets. And they were also training the vets. And they were training young vets to believe that processed pet food was the ultimate in pet nutrition. Now, I've observed all these changes over time. Now, going back a bit to my fourth and fifth year in, in, so in, in veterinary science, we had from America a very eminent professor, Professor Kirk. Now, Kirk had written a lot of textbooks or been editor of a lot of textbooks. So he was a most eminent person. And he told us veterinary students, he said, if you want to learn about nutrition ask your clients what they feed their dog. Now, he was only thinking of processed pet food because that's all they knew in America. They'd gone well beyond raw food. We were still feeding raw food here in Australia at yep. that time. At least half, half the population was. Yep. And um, I wasn't personally, That was, but that's another story and I'll come back to that. But mm -hmm. um, they were feeding in America processed pet food. So he was suggesting to us that we should look for the best brands of processed pet foods to feed our clients' dogs. Our clients would teach us. Now, he was absolutely right. Our teachers, our clients are were our best teachers all through the years because you only have to talk to them and, and correlate their dog's health with what those dogs are eating, and suddenly you've got a, a brilliant pic picture painted to you. And this was epidemiological and practice too of what dogs should and shouldn't be eating and i discovered when i asked the question that all the healthy dogs the ones that didn't re require my services were eating raw meaty bones and human food scraps that was it uh -huh. and the ones that were beginning to require my services more and more and were paying the bills so they're allowing me to have a nice young ladies work for me veterinary staff <laughs> i could pay the insurance and the and the rates and everything else that i needed to do uh, everything, the electricity bills, that was all coming about because dogs were eating processed pet foods and they were the ones that had the cancer, the diabetes, the arthritis. And over the years, this has grown and grown. Anyway, back then, it, it hit me. Mm -hmm. 
mm -hmm. like, like a bullet because what happened was I actually changed my dogs to processed pet foods for, for, for two years it was. Mm -hmm. The reason we did this because we were went into, my goodness, I, this is something I would never do today, but anyway, we went into showing dogs. We were raising Rottweils, Great Danes and Poodles at the time. Can you imagine? Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> and, and we were starting to show them. Mm -hmm. And the family said to me, well, look, you're a vet. What were you taught about nutrition at, at uh, vet school? Well, I was taught to feed processed pet food. Well, let's get them off the rubbish that we're feeding. Can you imagine how healthy they would be, they said, how brilliant they would be if we started to feed them properly on processed pet food? I said, all right, let's give that a go. <laughs> we did for two years, and my dogs gradually, very quietly, mm -hmm. their health declined. Coats got awful. They started to get scurf in their ears. They started to itch. We had breeding problems with our dogs that we'd never had before. Mm -hmm. All sorts of problems began to appear. And then, and this was where I came in and I started um, studying Chinese medicine, specifically mm. acupuncture. Yeah. And I met a whole heap of people who were, I guess, in many ways, nut healths and nut kooks. And they were looking at Reiki and homeopathy and herbs and all sorts of things. And one of the young ladies said to me, um, have you read a book by Baraclay Levy? Levy, and I said, well, actually, I had knew something about it. Anyway, she introduced me to raw feeding, basically, mm -hmm. but it was Baraclay Levy style. Whether you've heard of Juliet Baraclay? No, look, I'll be honest, no. <laughs> you know, she was an English lady, and she wrote a book, but she was heavily into grains. Mm -hmm. And there was a few other people I read, and I thought, well, my dogs were healthier when I was just feeding them. And we were we actually were out hunting back in the day. Mm. We were shooting rabbits and um, feeding. And I know I was just a young bloke at twenty two and a bit Yahoo. I couldn't possibly do it now. <laughs> but back then, where I had a gun and we were out in the paddocks because I was actually in the bush for the first time, let loose. Or and anyway, so we were feeding our dogs this way. And here I was being t with my own dogs now as a veterinary surgeon. My family had urged me to feed them on processed food. They were all looking pretty crook, mm -hmm. unwell for the people overseas. That's a, an Australian expression, pretty That's crook. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I realised that what I'd been doing before was far more appropriate for the dogs than than anything else. So yeah. we went back. We went to the butchers and I bought, and at the time there was a drought on, so there was a lot of lamb and uh, beef and so on in, in at the butcher shops. It was being flooding the market. So we started feeding this stuff and suddenly my dogs began to return to health. Mm. And I couldn't believe it. Just a simple change in diet. So this began my research, everything else, and it's actually take, it took over my life from that point forward yeah. because I realized that everything, all the problems we'd been trained to treat with drugs and everything else and, and surgery, to a large degree, simply didn't have to be. They didn't have to be. And this was like an enormous whack on the head, on the, mm -hmm. on the side of the head. My God, all this stuff is actually being caused by processed pet food. Yeah. And this was reinforced when I started talking to my clients about diet. Now, and, and we would come up, I would have, I can remember one specific dog. It was an Irish setter. And this was typical of what happened back then. This Irish setter came in. It had severe arthritis. It had complete hair loss because it had this terrible allergy. Can you imagine an Irish setter, no hair, mm. 
terrible looking skin, bones sticking out everywhere. And we had not been able to do anything for this dog. We'd put it on antihistamines and cortisone and antibiotics and all those things. They kind of kept it at bay, but they weren't, we weren't winning. There's no question. Yep. And I said to these people, I said, look, I'd like you to try this diet. I said, I can't guarantee anything. It's been working. But I, this is a pretty bad case. I mean, he had terrible ears, just everything. You know, ear infections, a lot. Yep. Anyway, I confidently expected the dog to go away to another vet for euthanized. And I think I, I thought I was pretty right because about six months later, they turned up with this young, sprightly-looking Irish setter. Mm -hmm. And I looked and I said, oh, you've got a new dog. No. This is Paddy. Same dog. <laughs> wow. I nearly fell over. <laughs> and this dog had simply been transformed by changing his diet. All the drugs in the world couldn't fix it. There was nothing else that had been done except change this dog's diet. Now, this then became something that I, I saw more and more often. It just happened and happened and happened. And in the end, you don't record these things. You, you just expect them and, yes. in this way. And so it was, I wrote, give your dog a bone mm -hmm. because I had to tell people. In fact, what it was, I wanted to stop talking about it. Would you believe? <laughs> Here, read this. But if I write this book, it tells it, I'll never have to talk about it again, and I can just get on because I love being a vet. And what I loved quite, quite often more than anything else was getting out the back and getting stuck in with a knife and doing surgery and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, I was, I was a typical fire engine vet. I wanted to deal with the guts, the blood, and the dung of it all. <laughs> I wanted to be right in there, gung ho. The last thing I wanted to do was be talking about. Nutrition. I've been <laughs> before that. The, uh, right. Yeah, that's okay. Um, the universe has other ideas sometimes, doesn't it? Yes, that's right. <laughs> so anyway, I wrote the book, and next thing, I'm being invited to the UK. Hmm? We spent we we spent about three weeks over there talking, and then by now, this this whole idea had spread across the globe because this this whole thing was coincidental with the rise of the internet. Hmm. And somebody contacted me one day and they said, you know, your book's being spoken about on the internet. I said, is it? Good heavens. And they said, and they're calling it barf. Mm. I said, barf, that means to vomit. No, <laughs> no, they're, they're calling it bones and raw food. Well, I had a look at, on the internet and there were all these people mm. and they were fighting each other. There were people saying, no, this is no good. It's dangerous to kill your dog. Others are saying, no, it's going to make your dog better. But anyway, I said, where did this bath come from? And it turned out there was a lady. She was a Canadian. And I've spoken about her before, so I'll mention mm -hmm. her. I don't think she minds. Her yep. name was Debbie. And Debbie was a breeder of German shepherds. And she saw all, the, all this going on. And she said, oh, my goodness, they're, they're like born-again Christians. <laughs> The way they're, you know, they're, they're so keen. They're, they're trying to encourage everybody to become, you know, a raw feeder. So she called them born again raw feeders, hence the acronym BARF, B A R F. There you go. <laughs> anyway, she decided that she would have a go at it herself. Mm -hmm. So she put her own dogs on it because they were having problems, breeding problems. And you can imagine uh, the hip problems and, yep. uh, and elbow problems and all that sort of stuff. Shoulder problems with, with German shepherds being ground too quickly on processed pet foods. Mm -hmm. Suddenly, her dogs no longer needed all this veterinary attention. They were growing better. They mm -hmm. were growing healthier. And, and 
allergies were disappearing, the whole box and dice. Mm -hmm. She said, oh, it's we better call this a bones and raw food. So a bones and raw food was grown as the as the new acronym from born again raw feeders. Yeah. Anyway, when they showed me this, I said, "Well, let's go a little bit further. Mm -hmm. Let's call this biologically appropriate raw food. Let's make it scientific." Yep. So hence, biologically appropriate raw food came into being. Mm -hmm. So we had BARF as biologically appropriate raw food. One of my clients at the time who was feeding some really off chicken to a doctor, and they were doing fine. She had also, also stands for, and I've got to use an expletive here, for bloody awful rotten farts <laughs> because the chicken was off. Yep. But they were doing fine anyway. But that's a whole another story of how we, of the importance of understanding what evolutionary nutrition is all about. Mm -hmm. But so that's the way I got started. Now, from yep. there, I was invited to America. We spent three months in America, my wife and I, and we were doing one and two day lectures right across the States. And this was the beginning of the raw food move because I was saying to them, well, look, you people, you could start co-ops mm -hmm. and buy food in bulk and, and feed it to each other. And, and by the way, go to your vet with your dog and tell them this is what you're feeding and, and explain to them, that this is a healthy way to do it. Of course, they would go to their vet and the vet would say, my goodness, that's the healthiest dog I've ever seen. Yep. What do you feed it? Mm -hmm. Must have been following Dr. Kirk's advice. <laughs> and uh, they would tell him, and he said, oh, my God, you're going to kill your dog. Mm -hmm. it's, this, and this is about the reaction we still get with vets. In fact, more so because they are trained by the pet food companies in nutrition, mm -hmm. and they're actually trained to be afraid of raw food. Mm -hmm. and they're told that feeding actual food to dogs is a dangerous practice and should never be undertaken. They should, vets are trained to say, only feed synthetic, fake, artificial food. Yeah. Anyway, um, the Americans being Americans, they didn't start these co-ops. What they started, of course, was raw food businesses. And right across America now, raw food business are rampant and it's growing as one of the Still a niche market, but it's definitely a growing market. Same in the UK, same in Australia. Um, and so that's basically where I've come from. Um, and uh, what we find today, though, is there's a lot of what I call raw food gurus out there who tell us mistakenly that this is a very difficult way to feed yep. and that you have to have a spreadsheet and that you have to get every nutrient balanced and you have to get every meal complete and balanced because what they're trying to do is follow the processed food paradigm and, and interpret raw within that paradigm but that's mm. completely wrong they've actually lost the whole spirit of raw feeding mm. that's, so that's that's very quite, sad yeah it is it's quite and it's quite interesting you know you know obviously um you know if we can have it i did i did some stuff the other day obviously keeping it very simple you know uh, proteins fats carbs and you know as we know that the carbs potentially you know not re not required right um right, you know, not. <laughs> you know, not designed to have all these carbs because that, basically they turn to sugar in the bloodstream mm -hmm. cause inflammation advanced glycated end products mm -hmm. drive cancer drive inflammatory bowel disease mm -hmm. it's shocking mm -hmm. oh that's simple 
for sure and you know and it's a it's a challenge you know we're talking you know potentially you know um 30 40 years since you know you uh you know went through then had these discoveries i think you know roughly correct me if i'm wrong but i had 1993 really is um you know the the, the date roughly 93 94 that you released give a dog a bone you know 17th of november 1993 at a bichon frise conference in <laughs> sydney yeah, fantastic. So, so I was right. You were right. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and, you know, today we're still potentially, um, you know, butting heads against uh, veterinary, um, you know, um, like vet, vets, we're butting heads against an industry, you know, an industry that, um, you know, I, you know, an industry that's full of money and full of marketing, you know, and, uh, you hey, know. Do you realise this is the best business model available? Mm -hmm. We have vets who thoroughly believe the processed food is the best way to feed a dog. Mm -hmm. So they market it for the pet food companies and they are regarded as the people with the most knowledge about pets. So pet owners believe implicitly that their nutritional advice mm -hmm. is good and sound. Mm -hmm. So we, you have a, a profession and this, this is akin to cigarettes that used to be in the, in the medical profession. They actually used to think that cigarettes were healthy. Mm -hmm. So you have a profession marketing a product that causes the very problems that brings their clients back to them to spend money with them in diagnosis and treatment. Mm. And they get applauded for doing it. And everybody believes that these products are not causing the problems. Yeah. And yet they are. Yeah. What, what, a, what a perfect business model. Mm. Now, I've up until recently, I've said to people, well, look, you can't blame the vets. They were young, impressionable students. And this was drummed into them. Mm. But I say now, no, I think you've got to start shaming your vets mm. and say, you are a biologist. You have learned veterinary science. You need to look at nutrition. You would never feed yourself this way. Mm -hmm. Why are you recommending we feed our dogs so badly and producing all this disease? Mm. You've got to change your attitude and you've got, you've got, to, you've got to actually become learned about raw feeding. And so I'm asking vets now, in the, in, in the beginning, you used to say, look, just take your dog in, your vets will learn. Mm. I'm realising now they actually have to be shamed, mm. have to yeah. be shamed into understanding that this cannot be. Yeah. Because until the vets change, the pet food companies won't change. Yeah. But if the vets change, the pet food companies are going to have to change. For sure. And that's and that's really sad when you, when you think about it, you know. Um, you know, and just sort of jumping to a little bit to the left. So uh, I did an experiment. I went and worked for a large, uh, um, large retail outlet, uh, pet food, the retail outlet. Yep. Um, did I want to do it? No, I didn't. But it was for, you know, I'll, I'll say for experiment purposes only, right? <laughs> um, so I went and worked for this large chain for a number of months because I wanted to see, uh, number one, what the end, end user or consumer what you know what they were coming in on a regular basis to buy and what yep. their questions were um you know normally in that in that situation they would approach maybe a young um 14 15 year old uh retail assistant you know they're there working after school or um the uh there's a university student that's trying to supplement their their way through university etc and uh you know i had obviously quite a large amount of years experience and 
the end consumer they just don't know right and that's you know the the purpose one of the purpose of the podcast here is to you know to potentially jump over the you know the the vets or something like that and go straight to the end user and yeah. go hey you know here's a podcast it's gonna you know it's an hour's worth of conversation with um you know uh trusted you know experienced people have a listen and make up your own mind you know because they just don't know and you know they may look at the amount of times what's what's the cheapest bag of uh, dry processed food i can get for my dog that's 30 dollars over there i'll take it and i'll take two bags of it you know yes well i've had exactly the same experience um we were when we when we produced dog food we were producing it for a large chain mm-hmm. well we, we were selling it to a large chain who were on selling it it was in the it was in the freezer obviously because it's mm-hmm. it's a frozen food it has to had mm-hmm. to be and we would sit there and we were giving away free samples. Most people who walked in had never heard of it. They didn't know the freezer existed. Yes. But what was even more telling was the fact that we sat there and just watched bags and bags of dry dog food in a continual stream walk out the door. Mm-hmm. Now, clearly, this was the product that brought people into the shop and it was the product that had to be earning a lot of dollars for that shop. Mm-hmm. Or that that was actually a chain, mm-hmm. because they had mountains of it stacked high, mm-hmm. and people just came in, and people had no other thought than this was the best way to feed their dog, mm-hmm. and that's what they'd been taught by their vets, mm-hmm. and it would be reiterated by the employees of the of this uh, chain mm-hmm. and so on. Yes, and just occasionally somebody would come in and say, "Ah, good to see you." Just very occasionally, and very occasionally somebody would be buying it. Mm-hmm. But when we sat down and explained and we had people willing to listen, you could see the lights come on. Mm-hmm. You could see as the wheel started turning, oh, my goodness, yep. could this fellow sitting here be right? Mm-hmm. Now, this, it wasn't my favourite thing to do. but <laughs> And I was glad when we stopped doing it. Mm-hmm. Um but boy, it was an education. Yes, for sure, and that's and that's you know the primary purpose that I did it, you know, and and just you know off the top of my head, you know, a lot of the the junior staff would send, uh, you know, the people, um, the clients over to me to have a chat about uh, you know whether it's behavioural issues or whether they've got uh, you know skin issues, you know, um, you name it, they they would send over to me, and I would uh, you know I would spend quite some time with them, uh, educating them around um, uh, you know foods etc. Um, rather you know, but if I was wasn't there the training of the retail staff on the floor would send them over to a sensitive skin dry food <laughs> you know exactly or, the, right. or the french french bulldog dry food or the staffy dry food you know like these breed specific dry foods which have no difference right <laughs> they're all the same <laughs> but they're just labeled differently that's correct and it's um you know it's it's really one of those things that um like i said sometimes i, I feel sad but then i realize that you know, you and I can have conversations like this and potentially if we change, uh, you know, we have a great reach, but also change um, one person's idea or concept, um, you know, we're making progress. Well, the progress is being made. It's very, very slow. Mm-hmm. And it's not a war that's going to be won in a huge battle. It's a war of attrition as we gradually wear mm-hmm. down mm-hmm. the opposition. Yeah. And it will be yeah. worn down because... It's so biologically wrong to be feeding this terrible food to our dogs. Mm. And there's so much science that supports 
the wisdom of feeding an animal the way it was designed by evolution to eat. And, and the most obvious example is the zoos. Mm. They would never, well, if they do occasionally attempt to devise a diet made from artificial foods, mm. it is never the same as feeding the food that animal evolved on. Yep. And uh, they, they know that if they want that animal to be happy, to behave more normally and to be able to reproduce if, if reproduction is what they're after. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So <clears throat> I just wanted to to touch on um, as well. Uh, so, you know, the first book, you know, Give a Dog a Bone. And then uh, after your tour around, um, you know, the States, uh, you just you released uh, um, the, the next book, you know, uh, Growing Pups uh, with Bones. Growing yeah? Pups with Bones, yes. Yeah, that's yes. Right. And how was that, re you know, I suppose, re taken well, when you released that one? It's probably the least popular book. I guess it was written for breeders. Yes. And, you know, breeders are funny people. People. Readers mm -hmm. don't want to shout out if they find something that's useful. Mm -hmm. Now, people who have dogs want to tell the world, hey, I'm feeding raw food and it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's so healthy. Well, unless somebody's going to have a go at them over it. But breeders, oh, this works. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to tell my mate down the road who's also breeding German Shepherds or Great Danes <laughs> or whatever because I want to get a steal on them. I want to have better pups and so on and so forth. Yep. So it's never actually been the sort of book that people have talked about. So that that second book, mm. uh, but it's there. And, yeah, yeah. And um, we still sell a lot of that book too. But our most popular book is probably probably still Give Your Dog a Bone, followed by The Bath Diet and then yep. um, Grow Your Pups with Bones because it's it's kind of a secret thing that the breeders do not wish to share. And it's it's quite funny that also you know in the in the show community or a lot of the let's just say the sports but primarily the show community you know we see a lot of breeders being sponsored or, or you know by um you know and and the amount of merchandise they get given and you know the uh, the hats the t-shirts the crates the flags the you know mm -hmm. you you name it they uh you know they they have it from these these um you know huge companies right <laughs> That's right well and you have to understand mm -hmm. the profit these companies make is enormous mm -hmm. just to illustrate that the packaging costs far more than the raw materials mm. so mm. so that just gives you an idea of just how cheap this product is to make and how much profit that is involved and and of course they can then go on to do this fantastic marketing mm. with all these toys and, and products and people just go along with it because yeah. it's cheap and uh, it's easy for sure. Uh, I also there's a few you know things that I wanted to. Uh, I've got some notes here I wanted to talk about as well. Um, yep. But um, before we get into uh, you know the the the, the, the the getting back to basics and things like that, I really would love to take a moment to uh, talk about pointing the bone at cancer and potentially the yes. the, the keto based diet. Um, yes. You know, I'd love to you know to have you know your sort of shortened version of that. <laughs> well. Um, the dog, for most of its evolutionary history, has probably been in and out of keto, and that's probably the way we should should look at our dogs because mm. keto can keto the, the production of ketones as an energy source mm -hmm. is actually far more normal than people think. Using even for our brains and for our for canine brains, mm -hmm. in fact, dogs are so good at using ketones that if you try to get them into ketosis, you can never get the ketone level too high. Mm -hmm. because they use them instantly. They know how to use ketones. Mm -hmm. Over time, um, because ketones are produced either a very high-fat diet or after extreme exercise um, or 
when this is apart from pathological ketoacidosis um so it's very high fat diet extreme exercise or starvation mm -hmm. or fasting mm -hmm. and our dogs traditionally have been involved in all of those things mm -hmm. it's normal for a dog in in the wild and that's over millions of years of evolution to spend times fasting between meals yeah. it's normal for them to be involved in extreme exercise during the hunting mm. and um certainly that they they at times would eat a high fat diet and that never these carbs that we're feeding them today mm -hmm. so ketosis is a very normal way for a dog to be mm. and as it turns out most cancers have these have masses of insulin receptors on their cells they gobble up sugar they feed on sugar and we feed them processed pet foods, which drives the cancer and makes it just grow exponentially. Whether you're a human, a dog or a cat, these high sugar diets today are the things that are driving cancer and also in many ways promoting cancer. It's so sad. Mm. But is that spoken about by our oncologists? No. Almost never. And yet it's an established scientific fact. Mm -hmm. But we have a situation today in the cancer world where, again, this case is, is well the, the processed pet food companies are there because they're supplying the food that uh, helps helps grow the cancer mm -hmm. but we have a, a enormous big farmer out there and the cancer industry the need to keep people continually getting cancer and for dogs and to a lesser extent cats even today getting cancer but our dogs are the most cancer prone species on earth by the way with mm -hmm. what we're feeding them mm -hmm. um so we have an industry, a pharmaceutical industry, that is hell-bent on maintaining their hold on the dollars that come from cancer. Mm. And so we, by feeding the Western diet, whether we're, and I'll include the Western diet for humans and, and yep. dogs and cats, we are feeding big pharma. We are feeding the cancer industry. Not only the cancer industry, of course, but every other industry that relies on drugs to treat degenerative disease, no matter what it is, whether it's arthritis or inflammatory bowel disease, mm -hmm. autoimmune disease, a whole lot, all depend on feeding the Western diet, which is so high in sugar, low in essential fatty acids, poor quality proteins, no, um, in case of dogs particularly, no, no plant materials that, that help stem cancer, on and on and on. We're just living in this terrible situation, and it's not even a conspiracy. Mm. It's just is. <laughs> That's correct. It, it's it's interesting that um you know I've got I'm, I've been doing a lot of research, so I've just um been doing a lot of um uh, preparation for an endurance run myself, and uh, you know I uh, I'm re currently reading a book called Primal Endurance um, by Mark you know uh, Mark Sisson, and uh, you know looking at um, the training philosophy for me, but also the uh, the you know the the diet of of keto based diet um, yeah. to help me uh, run you know a trail run of uh, you know, from 25 to 50 to, you know, my big goal is to do a hundred, hundred kilometer run in the, in the forest or the bush, you know? So um, having the correct nutrition and uh, training under my belt is, um, you know, uh, essential, right? <laughs> you know? Exactly. Uh, yes. Not not just that, but also, you know, um, to make me live longer, right? You know, when I'm, when I'm, you know, 70, I want to be fit and healthy and not have to worry about these particular, um, you know, diseases that pop up 
up we see in many you know so if we, right. we transfer that over to our um our dogs you know that's uh, i guarantee that that our dogs have been ta- lives have been taken way too short where they used to live to 16 17 18 you know they've been cut short at seven you know and uh absolutely you are they're the figures that's exactly right that's where it all sits yeah and uh, you know i i will guarantee that if you asked anyone would you like your dog to live longer and you you know um you know and be healthier right you know right up until they're you know 17 18 i would guarantee that you know most people say 100 percent. yeah well, well it's because your dog i know i could attest to this as they get older they know more they're more in tune with you they understand everything you say mm-hmm. it's it's they're just a wonderful companion family mm-hmm. member so that um hey yeah. yes that's sure. what people want but instead what mm-hmm. they see is these dogs in the last years of their lives absolutely miserable going through tests mm-hmm. having to be put on drugs mm-hmm. and struggling mm-hmm. that's bad yes yeah 100 you know I, I judged a um a, a nose works competition on the weekend and it was fantastic to see um you know uh, dogs that are 12 plus you know a number of dogs that were 12 plus uh coming along and competing while obviously it's a low impact sport you know but they're using their noses um for enrichment and having a great time getting out and about you know um i love it (laughs) Mm um so the you know having that you know doing if you, you know, doing the research on, so you've got a book now about um, pointing the bone at cancer. That's, that's out now. Oh, yes. 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 In fact, 2016, it came out. Yep. Yep. That's out. And, um, sorry i um you know highly suggest people jump on on board on that one and and do a little bit of research as well because i think that's a a game changer as well well see the thing is that Mm -hmm. cancer is not what we think it is Mm -hmm. Uh, but that's a but that's a that's that's a whole lecture really we haven't got Mm -hmm. time to explain that (laughs) that's okay (laughs) that's all right It's, it's 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 people just think it's a purely genetic disease but in Mm -hmm. fact it it definitely relates back to our diet Mm -hmm. sadly but Anyway, we won't, we won't go into that yeah. now because it's. But if you if you eat right, mm-hmm. you're sure I've got less chance of getting cancer, much less. Yeah, for and, both us, us and our dogs, right? <laughs> yes, and and fighting it with meta, with a metabolic approach, mm-hmm. and particularly the keto mm-hmm. approach, is a very wise move. And if you're, for example, if the cancer has been detectable with a PET scan, mm-hmm. and the PET scan is actually using sugar or the cancer's ability to, to draw sugar into it. Mm-hmm. And so it draw, draws in these radioactive labelled sugar molecules, and that's then picked up with a PET scan. Mm-hmm. If your cancer has been detected that way, then it's amenable to treatment with a ketogenic diet yeah. because the ketogenic diet is designed to starve the cancer of sugar. Mm-hmm. That's simple. Mm-hmm. Nobody talks about it. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, just on just it popped into my head as well. So, um, you know, I'm trying to experiment a lot with, um, so I work with a lot of uh, performance dogs. Um, yep. So try, I've been trying to experiment with heart rate monitors as well. So, you know, for me, in line with, um, you know, keeping my uh, heart rate, you know, um, you know, below, say, 140 um, beats per minute, na- uh, nasal breathing, trying to, you know, this is for me, not the dog at the moment, but I'm yeah. trying to, I'm trying to transfer, uh, you know, uh, some of the stuff from the human world over into my performance uh, dog world, right? And it's, uh, it's very challenging at the moment, but, and no one's really sort of talking about, um, you know, different levels of exercise, whether we keep our dog in a, a trot on a treadmill, for instance, for X amount of time, you um, 
you know, making sure that their heart rate's at a, a steady pace, um, you know, and not always going out and, and going balls to the wall, 100, you know, 100 miles an hour, sprinting and running and, um, you know, chasing the balls, et cetera, in our training program. So having a, a program that encompasses uh, low impact uh, aerobic versus, you know, anaerobic uh, exercise as well for those performance dogs is, um, you know, I've been experimenting over the last year trying to get things right and dialed in as well. Well, of course, you've got, well, I just go to two extremes with a canine athlete. Yeah. You've got the uh, Husky racing to the North Pole, the Iditarod, or wherever yep. they race up there somewhere yep. in Alaska. <laughs> and you've got the Greyhound at the other end. Mm. So you've got, the you know, your short twitch muscle, muscle fibers, and you've got anaerobic exercise with the Greyhound. Mm. And you've got a situation with a endurance dog mm. where you do want to, you, you're not doing anaerobic exercise. Uh, Exercise <laughs> yep. and those dogs really depend upon fat and ketones as their energy source. And, mm. and if you look, I think it was Cronfeld, he actually developed quite a, a few diets for those dogs, mm. and they were all very high in butter fat, for example. Yeah, and I know I know that um, you know a lot of uh, you know high fat salmons and fishes are used as well. You know in their uh, uh, in their diets. Yes, mm. but if you're doing that, mm. then you must make sure you've got plenty of vitamin E and selenium. Yes. If you want to have a good, strong antioxidant going. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Uh, so I just wanted to, uh, you know, I suppose once again, uh, deviate a little bit about... Um, and I found that I find this really fascinating as well um, that, um, you know, around fermented foods and the superfoods that, uh, you know, um, that you do mention on your website as well. Well, um from the word go, we all boys know the dogs love to eat rotten and revolting food and they will bury a bone and dig it up all fermented and beautiful and full of bacteria and the product of bacteria weeks later. Mm -hmm. And that's the way they've lived for millions of years. So they depend on fermented foods and fermenting, rotting as long as they were raw when they were put in the ground, not cooked, mm -hmm. foods that had the bacteria naturally present on them, attacking them, breaking them down. That's all part of their, becomes part of their own microbiome. And mm -hmm. of course, the other thing about the microbiome is that it is fed by the correct food. So if you've got the wrong foods going in, like all those carbs, then that's going to encourage the wrong sort of bacteria to grow. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you feed the right sort of food, which is um, food as designed by evolution for our dogs, they're going to grow the right bacteria. Now, that does include the fiber from healthy vegetable material and i'm not talking about beet pulp or in that sort of thing but the fiber from um vegetable material that you would eat yourself so and i encourage people to and have done for a long time with for example dogs with kidney failure the fiber the insoluble fiber that is in vegetables if it's pulped through a juicer and then goes through to the large bowel the bacteria there take that as a prebiotic convert it to short chain fatty acids and they grow on it then they need a source of nitrogen for their own protein and they drag it out of the blood. And that nitrogen is bypassing the kidneys and that's the basis of the kidney diet. And I've just told you a huge, <laughs> huge story there, which is so important. Yes. Um, it's, it's, and, but it's going on all the time mm. when we feed our dogs that way because dogs have always, to some degree, eaten some of the gut, gut contents of their prey, which is already broken down mm. by a process of mastication and also fermentation. So all of those things, if we look at the evolution of our dog and feed it appropriately according to evolutionary norms, mm. suddenly we've got this 
bizarrely healthy dog that's going to live for a long time. Yeah. I mean, when I was in America early on, I remember these ladies would come up to me and they were very unhealthy ladies and they were eating donuts and everything at the, at the, at the, at the break as, as they always put on at these shows. <laughs> and I would say, uh, no, I don't know whether I actually said to them, I thought, hmm, well, you've got to make your dogs live long. You're living a shorter life, so you might actually have the joy of going together. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's cynical sometimes, but true, right? <laughs> Just a little bit, yeah. <laughs> For sure. So I want the, I suppose the, the, the one of the last sort of subjects that I've got here is to talk about, um, uh, you know, the concept or what you're looking at doing in regards to uh, uh, taking things back to basics and how people can get involved and, and what, uh, you know, um, the program and that you're looking at uh, are launching. Well, we've done the summit. They can still get they can still get copies of that summit. It's, it's available and it's brilliant. Mm -hmm. But um, my post-summit masterclass, it's full. This one is full. Mm -hmm. uh, we said it would only occur once, but I've been told by the people who are organising it, well, there's been so many people want to do it, yep. we're thinking of putting it on again. But we we're going to do it now. I'm about, I will commence the first one of those masterclasses is on next Monday. Okay. Starting at 7 o'clock here in Australia. Yep. We've already got, I think, the 25 people. It's wonderful. Mm -hmm. I'm going to teach them the basics. The absolute basics. And when they know that, when they understand, they will be like apprentices that learn the basics of any of any skill. Mm -hmm. Once you know the basics, you can then apply that all the way through and go on to, to learn whatever you like. But you've mm -hmm. got to have those basics. Mm -hmm. And the basics are very simple. The basics are if you feed what a dog evolved to require, and it's only in ballpark proportions, and it's not at every meal, it's over a series of meals, or can be, and it's probably the best way to do it, wide variety of the proper types of foods in roughly the right proportions. And the important word here is homeostasis. Mm -hmm. The body's homeostatic mechanisms, when it's dealing with real food, that's evolutionary food, take what they need, the body takes what it needs from that food and ensures its own completeness and balance. There's none of this Excel spreadsheet and analysing the food and saying, oh, my God, have I got enough magnesium? Oh, manganese. I don't know whether I got... Oh, zinc. Oh, I'm, oh <laughs> calcium, phosphorus, oh, copper. Mm -hmm. You don't have to do that. Yeah. Now, you can know about all that. Mm. Nothing wrong with knowing about it, but don't get hung up on it because if you feed evolutionary foods in the correct proportions, you can forget it all. The body takes care of it. Yeah. This is the joy. And and it was and I guess even when I when I first started out, I didn't understand the extent. And I often said to people, I don't know why exactly this is working, but we're going to find out as time goes by. Mm -hmm. And for example, I said, for example, I said, raw meaty bones, I know that they've got they've got hydroxyapatite, which is a calcium phosphorus. Mm -hmm. They've got enough, they've got essential fatty acids, they've got all the um balance of amino acids or raw meaty bones i'm sure we're going to find out other things over time yes well it didn't take long before we found out that cartilage was feeding and making healthy joints so i had a fair idea about that but one other thing that we did i did definitely didn't know back then was that cartilage was anti-angiogenic what does that mean 
it stops the growth of blood vessels, angiogenesis, growth of blood vessels. It stops the growth of blood vessels in cancer. It's anti-cancer. And it's one of the most powerful anti-cancer therapies we can give out. The humble, raw, meaty bone. Mm. <laughs> I, you know, dogs are scavengers. That's, that's the way that evolution has designed them. And, and so we have these people that have this, uh, I think it's, what is it, uh, 80, 10, 10. Now, that's just something they've made up based on outcome, and it's wrong. It's just dead wrong. And they say, oh, well, the bath diet's only got this, and therefore it's missing a lot of things. That's not the bath diet you're feeding. It's not the bath diet I've talked about. Yes. That's what the masterclass I'm, I'm um, producing now yep. is teaching. But it's so simple. Dogs eat poo. Mm. They're coprophagic. What does poo got? <laughs> Poo's got... Poo's got essential fatty acids. Now, it's made from, from bacterial bodies. Yes. First-class protein, essential fatty acids, lots of vitamins, lots of all the B vitamins, vitamin K of the right sort. It's got already got prebiotics in it because there's, there's still some fiber left there. It's got probiotics. Man, poo is a wonderful food. Not the most thing that we'll, we will go for, but yes. we do eat camembert cheese, which is another fermented food. Yes. Very similar. Mm -hmm. um, smelly. Fermented, full Tasty. of all that good stuff. So when when your dog raids the litter box, the cat litter box, and eats the cat poo, for them, camembert cheese, cheese. or <laughs> real, whatever, blue cheese, beautiful yep. Danish blue, whatever. Yep. But that's what we're looking at. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. So, you know, on, on that, you know, I'd like to, um, you know, I'll wrap, wrap it up. Um, you know, I really appreciate um, your time once, once again. Um, but for, um, you know, uh, before that you go, um, where can people find out a little bit more about yourself? I know that you've got your, your website, social medias. Uh, okay. Mm -hmm. I am the worst person for self-advertisement. I don't get on social media. But if they go to www.dranbillinghurst.com, Yes. How are you? Dr. Ian Billinghurst.com. They'll find me. They can get the books mm -hmm. uh, and and a heap of information. So yeah, For sure. And, and I'll also put that li uh, link on uh, uh, in the show notes and uh, uh, in, in my social media as well. So once again, Dr. Ian Billinghurst, thank you very much for your, taking the time to uh, have a chat today. Daniel, thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. You're welcome. Are you looking for the perfect gift for you or a friend that loves dogs and fitness? Dogs and Deadlifts has you covered with merchandise and giftware including t-shirts, hoodies, cushion covers, mugs plus much more. Head over to teespring.com forward slash dogs and deadlifts. That's T double E spring.com forward slash dogs and deadlifts or Check out the link in the podcast notes.